Amen. It is so good to be here with you tonight. Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, a very kind professor just walked in the room looking for her flash drive that she left. And she was like, she was like hey, professor, what do you teach? <laughs> I was like... Uh, it was like, yeah, the, the truth of the gospel. <laughs> but we are, we are very blessed that we get to use this space and, um, and to meet like this. So we're, we're just very grateful. Very grateful to our campus, right? Pretty awesome we get to do this as a student ministry or campus organization. So, okay, we're in Matthew chapter 22. We're reading a parable together. So we've, if you don't have your Bibles, we should have it on the screen uh, eventually. These guys will get us sorted out. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 1. This is what the Bible says. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. He Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fat, fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited do not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man was there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Jesus let us help us tonight to understand this parable and what you are teaching your children and your people, Lord. We are longing to grow deeper in relationship with you, Lord. We want to know who you are. We want to know you deeper. And Jesus, we surrender our hearts to you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. This is an intense parable. Have you ever heard this phrase before? Never judge a cook, a book. By its cover. Everyone's heard that. Never judge a book by its cover. Now, it's it's interesting if you get really technical with that, because that's kind of the only way you can judge a book. You know, you're not gonna you're going to basically look at the cover of the book first before you purchase the book to read it, right? <laughs> you might even like read through the table of contents, like there's some Borum books that, that you'll have and some other books that Edwards and the guys in Chile team are selling um, that you'll be able to see. In Chi Alpha, we love books. We love to read. We love to read saints that have walked with God to help us grow closer with Jesus. You can't get enough books in your library about Jesus, I believe. Amen. So, amen. Yeah, that's right. So, it's interesting. Um, in Chi Alpha, we have a lot of weddings, 
Um, and, and in my life, I have been to many, many, many weddings. And I've been either a groomsman in, in dozens of weddings. When I was a student, all my friends were getting married, and, and I was a groomsman, and I had to rent like 50 different tuxes. You know, they made a movie about a girl and her dresses, but they could have made a movie about me and the tuxes I had to rent. Um, but we, tons and tons of weddings and it's fun. It's incredible. It's amazing to see your Chi Alpha family all gather, and it's it's amazing to see the small groups and as like like uh, you see the groom and his whole small group is there. That's his wedding party, and it's awesome and supporting of their the the covenant they're taking. And then you see the bride and her small group is the the bridesmaids, and it's just an incredible sight to see how fellowship can be a family. So it's it's really wonderful, and and every time you it it just without fail there's especially with Chi Alpha weddings there's always those people that show up they weren't invited, <laughs> and it's kind of understood it's the way it is. I remember on my wedding and I remember I mean me and Jessica we. Were, like, there was a lot of people at our wedding. We, we had a lot of family and a lot of Chi Alpha people to invite. But absolutely, there's those people who's like, D- I don't remember sending you an invite. How did you get here? Like, oh, you know, they, like, I just was, you know, it's because you kind of do everything as a small group together. And so it's sometimes a natural thing. Now, it, it sometimes that can be dramatic for us. It wasn't that dramatic. But you can kind of tell when you invite someone either to your house or you're at a wedding that when someone is purely there for the free food. Anyone know what I'm talking about tonight? You know when someone is over at your house and they're there for one reason alone, they really don't care about you. They like the free food. Yes? Anyone? And don't, don't point fingers or look around, but small group sometimes looks like that. It's like, man, small group's awesome. We had some really good tacos, man. Oh, and it's like, hey, what'd you learn in small group? What'd you discuss? Man, like, well, the Bible, but man, that food was so good. (laughs) We know what it's like. Nothing wrong with good food. But I've learned this lesson in life that your character will always reveal who you are on the inside. Your character will always give you away. And when you see these kind of things, especially at a wedding, in this parable that Jesus is bringing the disciples and the Pharisees that are all around him, he's bringing their attention to this parable that when you show up to a wedding and this particular feast at the king, this is a parable to depict the kingdom of God and what it is like. That kingdom of God, when there is a phony person that shows up and they're not about the king's business, the uniform they wear gives them away. Your uniform that you wear every day is your character. You cannot, you might be able to hide from friends and family, but none of us in this room, not even me, we cannot hide from God. He knows the person that we are 
in our heart. Now, I want you to hold that thought because this is going to take a little bit of a background. This is a this can be a complicated parable, and my task tonight is to try to simplify it enough to where we can really grab some simple truths because you could really spend a lot, a lot of time breaking this down. But basically what's going on in this parable, a little bit of context here, Jesus is specifically targeting the Pharisees when he is telling this parable. So there's the multitudes that are gathering around, there's disciples that are there, and this is, this is getting towards the end of Jesus's ministry. So he is targeting a specific group of people. The parable before this one in Matthew chapter 21 and, and uh, some of the several parables before this and then this one included are directed specifically to the hyper-religious Pharisee, the scribes and the teachers of the law. And he's also explaining this amazing concept. This is the first time you really get this idea that because Jesus explains the kingdom of God is like a vineyard where the workers of the field are working the vineyard. And he paints this picture of the kingdom of God. And there's the parable of the soil. So there's a lot of parables. I mean, Jesus is talking to farmers. So it's very natural that he would make parables that are all about farming. So we start plowing the field and the, and the soils, the parable of the soils, the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. All of these things will relate to the people Jesus is talking about. Now, in this parable, he paints a, quite a different picture of the kingdom of God. It's not just a field ground that has to be worked and there's a job to do. He is also explaining that the kingdom of God is a party. It's a wedding feast. The kingdom of God is also like this giant celebration where the king himself is celebrating the joining of the son and the bride. And this is Jesus painting a picture that the scriptures talk about later on, especially in Revelation. It's referring to the marriage supper of the lamb. So the kingdom of God is not just a ground that has to be worked. It's also a party. The Bible talks about when that the, all of the angels in heaven rejoice when one person comes to repentance and, and trust in the Lord Jesus. Guys, it's a party up there. It's a celebration of the glory of God and people being rescued from captivity of sin. So this is what we see that also in the kingdom of God, that this is a feast where you will experience joy, peace, and laughter. This is what comes along with the hope of the gospel. Now, what is Jesus explaining here? There's basically three invitations that go out. The first invitation is specifically to the nation of Israel and the leaders, the elect the Bible talks about. These are the Jews. These are the children of Israel. But the Bible says they refuse to, to come. And so Jesus says that, that, again, the king sent his servants a second time to the same people, the same select few, the children of Israel that Jesus originally targeted. And he says, come, I have my dinner is ready. The fattened calf have been slain. We are ready to feast. But the Bible says, Jesus is saying here that they made light of it. This is what the New King James Version says. They made light of it and went off to their fields and their businesses and other things. It says other people even killed the servants of the king. Now, you see what's happening here. I don't want to dive too deep into this, but Jesus is prophesying something that's going to happen. This is a prophetic parable. He's saying this is what's going on in history. It's kind of Jesus is taking them in a bird's eye view. This is what's happening right now, guys. 
God sent his servants to you and you rejected them. He sent his servants again for a second chance to reach you, but you've rejected them again and some of those servants you've even killed. And so what happens? Jesus says a third time, the king says, fine, since these people are unworthy, go and invite everyone. And again, Jesus is making a prophetic message here. He's saying everyone will be invited, not just the nation of Israel, not just the special invite that Jesus came for the Jews and the children of Israel, but he's saying the king will send this invite to every tribe, nation, and tongue. Bring all of them. Bring them all. Bring them all to my wedding feast. This is a foreshadowing of what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb, where Christ is finally joined together with his bride, the church. Are y'all following me so far? We had to walk through that so we can move further. Jesus is attacking, as he frequently does through the Gospels, he is attacking the religious spirit. Now, I don't want to paint a picture. The word religion is not a bad word. It's, we've kind of used it, like we use these phrases in pop culture today or pop Christian culture. Like, I'm not really religious, but I love Jesus, right? You ever heard something like that? And I think in modern times that kind of can make sense. But what I mean by religious here is this Pharisee mindset, this, this my works is what makes me high and mighty and, and lofty with God. This my works is what saves me. It's that attitude of you are beautiful and lovely on the outside, but you are dead and wicked on the inside. This is the hypocrite. This is Jesus is calling this out. And many times in the gospel, Jesus says, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers, he says, den of snakes, other translations say, you travel the whole world, travel all over the place just to find one convert. And you make that one convert twice as a son of hell as you are. Nobody preached such scorching words against the religious Pharisee, the hypocrite, than Jesus. No one spoke more harshly than him. And he is calling out the hypocrisy of the teachers of the law of that time. And this is relevant for us today. You see, these Pharisees were people that were supposed to love Jesus. They were supposed to be his friends. These Pharisees touted themselves as people that were friends of God. But he says, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Jesus is calling out, it, look, all everything on the outside looks good, but on the inside, you're dead. On the inside, you're dead. So these Pharisees, if they were friends with God, they should have been friends with God's son. But they rejected God's son. And so this, guys, I want you to see this. This is the devil's strategy to get you to love God's stuff, to get you to love the things that are about God, to get you to love everything that comes from God. The devil's totally fine with all that as long as in your heart you hate God himself. He wants to get you in a place where you love everything that comes from God. In our culture, how many songs about love, peace, and joy that you on, in culture today? That's what everyone cares about. That's what everyone loves. What you get at a wedding is you get love, you get peace, you get laughter. All of these things are in the kingdom of God. And there is no one on earth that's going to say, I hate those things. Everyone wants that in their life. Peace, joy, 
love, affection, happiness. But we forget, and this is what the devil tries to get us to forget, those things come from Jesus. They originate in God. And you can't have those things without the master himself. You don't have real love unless you have the author of love himself. You don't have real peace unless you have the author of peace himself. Are y'all following me tonight? You can't have real joy unless you have the author of joy because that is whom it is from. So these Pharisees, they were outwardly wealthy but inwardly bankrupt. They were outwardly righteous but inwardly corrupt. He says, you're whitewashed tombs, Jesus says. A whitewashed tomb on the outside, perfectly clean, but there's a skeleton hidden inside that no one can see. But Jesus saw straight through. See, these Pharisees were all about the kingdom of God. That's good. They could teach the law and they could teach how to walk with God. The Pharisees were good at that. They loved the benefits of the kingdom, but they actually did not care about the king himself, especially when he was standing face to face in front of him. So as we go down through this parable, the first thing we see that Jesus is explaining is the invitation is sent out. God sends out the invitation. In fact, he sends it out multiple times. He sends two invitations to the nation of Israel, but they rejected him. And what's happening here is what we see in our culture today, guys, everybody wants to go to heaven. As the songwriter said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Jesus knew what his inheritance was, but even Jesus did not want to go through the path of death. He says, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Jesus did not want to die, but here's the thing. Jesus did the work to purchase our salvation so that through him, that is the only pathway into life itself. But see, what people try to do today, and this is what we face in our culture, this is the job of the church to convince the world that we need Jesus, that they, that everyone needs Jesus. But what, what, if you ask any given person on the street, especially when you go to Booth with Chi Alpha and you ask this question, what does it take to get to heaven? The, the nine times out of 10, the answer you're going to receive from any given person is, well, I think you just need to be a what? Need to be a good person, right? You just need to be a good person, I don't think God would send me to hell because really I'm a good, decent person. Now, C.S. Lewis paints an incredible picture in his book, The Great Divorce, one of my favorite books of all time. And he's depicting this. This is a fiction book that Lewis writes, and it's about people's feeble attempts to acquire heaven in their own strength to get into heaven themselves. And there's this magical school bus and it takes these people up into heaven for a temporary time so they can go on a tour through heaven. And so these people get to heaven, they're like, what's this heaven place all about? Is this really what it's all cracked up to be? Like all those weird theologians talked about back in the day. They get off the bus and they realize that heaven is a place that is torturous to their bodies. For example, they get out of the bus and the blades of grass are so firm and solid, they feel like uh, jagged knives under their feet. They can't even walk on the grass because the grass is more solid than they are. 
And they're like, what this, how could anyone survive in a place like this? This is terrible. Yeah, the colors and the, the nature and everything is beautiful and nice. But it, how could someone survive here if they're not even able to walk in the grass? Lewis, when his fiction goes on, it explained that they would see an acorn fall off a tree. And it was so terrifying because if you could imagine an acorn falling on one of these ghost-like people, it would crush you to dust because the acorn was so real and heavy and solid compared to their ghost-like fragile bodies. You see, when you try to acquire heaven, all you're going to get is torture for your own self because the world that heaven is in, that reality that heaven lives in is more solid than what we are now. They're struggling to walk on the grass because the world is more solid than they are. They're almost, they're, you can almost see through each other like they're ghosts or phantoms. In order to belong here, so the angels come down and try to convince them to stay. And like, this is terrible. I don't want to stay here. I want to go back into the gray city where I can get everything I want whenever I want. And that's a place called hell. A place where you get whatever you want whenever you want, but you just never have peace. It's like you... Anyways, I could go on and on. This is an incredible book. You need to read it. But Lewis draws out this person, the attitude of, I am a good enough person to acquire this myself. That is not good enough. It's not going to cut it. You can't magically make yourself solid enough to survive in Christ's kingdom. Another way to say that is this. You can't exist in God's kingdom if you're against God. You, you don't get to be in his place if he's not what you're all about. You can't be all about his kingdom but not be about the king. Are you following me tonight? Heaven is not necessarily a place, Chi Alpha. Heaven is a person. The reason heaven is a place you want to go is because Christ happens to be there. If Christ gets up off his throne and he travels through the expanse and he makes his room in hell, guess where we want to be? We want to be where Christ is. Why? Because hell would then transform into heaven because that is where Christ is. Do you see the point tonight where you want to be is guys when we talk about eternity when we talk about heaven and the afterlife we are not Christianity is not talking much about a place we're talking about a person and you don't get that place if you're against the person you have to be about the person when we've explained this to people and to students for years now when you become a Christian he turns your whole world upside down. Anyone want to testify to that tonight? That happened to me. I gave my life to Jesus, and he turned my whole world upside down. Everything I thought was true ended up being false, and I realized the more I studied the Word of God, the more I walked with Jesus, that this just makes more sense than the crazy world we live in today. This is why we want to attach ourselves to the scriptures and diligently study and read the scriptures because, guys, people are slowly and but surely going absolutely insane because they have no standard in which to live by, but the scriptures themselves will keep your feet on solid ground. 
That is why we love the Bible, because it it's actually paints a picture of reality better than than what you're going to see Bill Maher say on YouTube. It's just the truth. It's just the truth, right? So Christ, you give your life to Jesus. This is what happens. He turns your whole world upside down. How, however, as you continue to walk with Jesus, this is what the Christian experiences. As your world is upside down and you start to adjust to the reality, that the, the way that Jesus thinks, you adjust your life to the way the Bible teaches, you start to realize that as you're walking and your, your, your body is adjusting to the upside downness of reality of walking with Jesus, as you turn back to look at where you've come from, you realize the truth is you were actually the one who was upside down. See, the world was the one that was crazy and upside down. He just right-sided you up, and now your body kind of had to, you, you had to adjust to it. You, this is what we call sanctification. You're learning how to be obedient to Jesus. But it's not that he turned you upside down. He turned you right side up. It's the world that's crazy, guys. Turn on the news. They're saying it themselves. <laughs> Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is sending out that invitation to every mailbox of every soul on the planet. Every soul in that mailbox of their heart, the invitation of Jesus is placed right in their heart. It says no one, Romans 1 says, no one was, is without excuse. He has placed eternity in the hearts of man. That invitation to accept Christ goes to every single person. And Jesus is that person that's standing there saying, come, come to me. You don't have to climb all these ladders. Just come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Revelation 3, Jesus says this, here I am. I stand at the door and I what? Knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is inviting you to fellowship, to fellowship. He's literally asking you to have a great time in fellowship. That's not bad, right, Chi Alpha? It's incredible. Jesus beckons with the invitation to come. Those who are invited must respond. Being born again means you have been completely changed from the inside out. You live righteously on the outside because you've been transformed on the inside. Amen? Are y'all with me tonight? But guys, you can't want heaven and peace and love and joy, true peace, true love. You can't love all of those things unless you also love the person that brought those things to us. Secondly, we read this terrifying verse where Jesus sends the second invitation out and, they, and the Bible says that they made light of it. The invitation of the, the son of the most high God sends an invitation out and their response, the Bible says, is that they made light of it. Basically, it wasn't impressive to them. It wasn't all that what it was cracked up to be in their opinion. He sends them out. Now, this is New King James uh, Version, which this wording comes out and I think is fascinating. Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, fattened cattle are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went to their ways, one to his farm, another to his business. Here, what God is doing is he is showing 
the immense value of what he is inviting us to. But people saw that and found it to be worthless. And guys, this is the postmodern age that we live in today. This is where our world is. This is particularly what our culture is in the West, guys. We have an instant gratification culture. What am I doing with my hand right now? I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Everybody knows, and you actually can't escape it, really. You can't escape this, this social media age that we live in is an age of instant gratification. I, I want what I want, and I want it right now. And this is a dangerous time to live in, and you have to guard yourself, Chi Alpha. You have to guard your hearts, and you have to guard your mind like it's the most precious thing you have. Because when you have this life of scrolling, your mind gets desensitized to what real joy actually is. And so when you have a chance to taste real joy, you pass it by because you're numb to what it really is. You've had just snippets of joy, snippets of happiness, little tiny, eensy-weensy little bits of dopamine, more and more and more every single day. So the moment you actually can get the real thing, you're like, that's really just a little bit more of this, and you pass it by. What you do is you make light of it. It's not a big deal to you because you've been desensitized. Winky Prattney calls this, you get inoculated to the things of God. You get used to the false thing, so you get comfortable with the fake false version of joy. When real joy comes walking in your door, you don't even notice it. They made light of it. G.K. Chesterton said it really well when he explained our modern culture when he said this, meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. Meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. It comes from being weary of pleasure. When we find ourselves or when you see family members and you see friends and their face is so down and dull, you don't even know what they look like smiling anymore. Something has happened to them. Their joy has been stolen because there's, there's things that are going on in our culture, guys, that desensitizes you so that when you have a chance to experience the real Jesus, you pass it off and make light of him. But guys, we must not make light of the greatest day in eternity. The Bible describes the marriage supper of the Lamb. Guys, this is the day of days. This is the most incredible moment of moments in all of history. The Bible talks about in Revelation the very end, the very end of time, after everything is over, after all the battles are won, when the, at the end of the human story, the end of all life itself, God is going to gather his people together and celebrate and feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the day that God is looking forward to most in all of eternity, this day, the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is not a day that you devalue. This is not a feast that you skip out on and say, ah, I'm going to stay home and watch Netflix. This is the most important day in history where Jesus, the Son of God, will unite with the church, 
the bride, that is us. Jesus does not want just to be added to your life. Guys, this is an intimate relationship you can have with God. This is an intimate walking, daily walking with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. And you learn to value Jesus, you learn to value the king, and when you value the king, you're going to get all of these things that are added to you. All the joy and the, and the peace and the laughter comes with them. The guys in Chi Alpha, look, we, we believe this. When you experience the real thing, there's just no turning back. When you experience the real Jesus, there's no going back. There's no going back to the old world. The old world is just disgusting compared to the beauty of walking with Jesus. It's no one even could convince you. Once you have been born again and you have tasted, tasted and seen the goodness of God, no one could ever convince you go back to this old go back to this old lifestyle because you just basically we've said it like this. My discipler said it like this. Once you've had fire, you just don't settle for smoke. There's just no going back. But see, you're never going to know that if you haven't been baptized by the real thing. You're never going to know how good that fire is that burns inside your soul when Jesus sets you free. You're never going to know that if you're just toggling along and you, you make light of these things. As that hymn, right, that hymn says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Everything is just petty compared to knowing Jesus. Lastly, we read this incredible thing in this parable. This man shows up to the wedding feast. This is after all the people have gathered, and the king sees him, that he sees him without his wedding garments. Now, as, as I read through this before, if this is the first time you're reading this, you might be like, man, this is really harsh. This guy, this homie just didn't have good clothes and he got thrown out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. No, that's not what's going on. Let me explain what's going on here. As the expositors that I read, this is what they say and teach, is it was customary for the wedding guests of this time in this culture, it was customary for the wedding guests to be given garments to wear at the wedding banquet. They, if you were poor and did not have wedding clothes, the hosts would give you wedding clothes as you entered in at the door. It was unthinkable to refuse to wear these, these garments. That would insult the host who could only assume that the guest was arrogant and thought they did not need these garments, nor that they did not want to even take part in the wedding celebration. Are you seeing what's going on here? This person did not just walk in because they didn't have it. This, this man walked in and he refused the wedding garments. He said, nah, I'm good. My clothes, my chacos and my ripped jeans is good enough, right? This is, I, I'm good here. And so you see, there is a refusal to accept the wedding clothes. Guys, the Bible says in Isaiah 61, I delight greatly in the Lord. This is what the prophet Isaiah says. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in robes of righteousness. Are y'all seeing this? 
Who is the one that does the clothing? God is the one that provides the clothing for the party. When we're in heaven, he's going to give you new clothes. You are not going to bring your buckled jeans into eternity with you. I'm sorry to say, save your money because it's all going to burn. Save your money. Guys, Walmart's got t-shirts that don't fall apart. Come on. Like, seriously, save your money. It's all going to burn. Someone say amen. Amen. Why does that matter? Because God himself will provide. He will provide the wedding garments for the wedding. And And the prophet Isaiah says this, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in robes of righteousness. Guys, this man that shows up, I want you, don't miss this. This this is the crux of the parable here. He tried to show up with his own clothes, which means he thought his life was good enough to get him in the party. He thought his behavior, the way he presented himself was good enough But here's what, this is what reveals in your heart when you think you're good enough. This man was not at this party in honor of the king. He could not have cared less about the king. Because the uniform you wear will reveal who you are inside your heart. And this man shows up with this, his regular clothes. He's like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm not here for the king. I'm not here for the clothes. I'm not here for anything. I just want the free food. I'm here for the free drinks. I'm here to check out the bridesmaids and lust after them. Guys, this is that wicked heart that wants all of the benefits of being in the kingdom, but does not give a flying flip about the king himself. Tell me, does Jesus not have the authority to tie this person hand and foot and throw him out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? He does have that right. Not only does he have that right, but he is a good God to do it. Why? Because it is his responsibility as king to protect everyone else that's there for the right reasons. Guys, he has the authority and he's good to exact that justice because Jesus will not allow that attitude into his courts to infect everybody else that's there for the right reasons. When you show up to Jesus's party and you are there for the king, he will clothe you in his righteousness You do not stand before God with all of your accomplishments, with all of your self-made glory, with your self-righteousness. When you stand before him, the Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags when compared to the salvation that Jesus, he gives you his righteousness and imparts it to you. Then you can stand before God. Do you see how Jesus has made every provision that you would ever need? He is the one who will provide. He will provide you the righteousness so you can stand before God clean and spotless because Jesus' righteousness is imparted to you. But how? How do you receive those wedding garments? Let me put it this way. When Jesus sends out the invite, how do you RSVP to the wedding supper of the Lamb? We've said it this way. 
in Chi Alpha. People who are afraid of hell, they want heaven. People who are afraid of hell want heaven. But people who are in hell want God. Why? Because when you are actually in hell, you realize what hell really is. And it is a merely a place that is completely void of God. It's a place that is absent of God. It's simply a place where he is not there. When people go to hell, do you know what that means? That is God saying, look, I've tried to reach you your whole life. You still want nothing to do with me, but that's okay because I've made a place where you'll never have to see me again. People that go to hell choose it because they choose their own kingdom rather than surrendering to the true king of kings who simply is Lord. And what the church is here to do is to project to the whole world, this king, Jesus, is a good king. He's a trustworthy king. He is a holy king. But guys, you're never going to reach that place where you're in the kingdom if you're not also for the king. You're never going to be about the kingdom itself unless you're about the king himself. I'm going to ask the band to return, and we'll close with this. The conclusion of all things in the Bible, Revelation 19, I'm going to read this verse that explains the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is when all believers in the church is united and unified with Jesus. And Jesus wants a pure bride, amen? He, he wants a pure bride for him to be married to. Revelation 19 says this, When I heard, this is John talking about the end of times, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. That's the clothes of righteousness that are imparted to you. And then there's in brackets here, the Bible says, Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Chi Alpha, how do you RSVP to God's invitation to this day of days? Jesus puts it very simply. Believe on Christ. Believe on Christ. Put your trust and your faith in Christ. That's how you respond. That's how you show up. Step two, once you believe in Christ, the natural outworking of your heart that's in love with God will go into effect. If you truly love the king and you're not just about his stuff, if you truly love him, then you're not just gonna live for his gifts and his blessings. You're gonna live for him. 
It's not about what you can get out of him. It's that you can get actually him. You can get Jesus himself. And all of these things will be added to you. Let's stand tonight as we close.